Lord this morning. Let me just hear the people are excited to be in God's house. So we want to continue our series today in episode two. And I want to begin by opening up the scripture that we're going to consider. And it's found in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is kind of right in the middle of the Bible. And it's a wonderful book. There's a whole bunch of different things in it. And this particular story is the one that jumped out to me um, as it teaches us on the next step here in our series about prayer. And I want to teach you something very specific about prayer and leveling up. That's what level up really is, right? Because when you go to the next level, you're going, going to the level that God already wants for you. And that's why prayer is so important, that God will prepare you and shape you and build you so that you can receive what he wants and that you can do what he wants, live a life of overflow and pour yourself out. Isaiah 38, and we're going to consider uh, these eight verses, actually these uh, six verses of Isaiah 38, beginning at verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. At that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly. means without wavering. That means I've made up my mind. I've stayed right on with what you asked me. Always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. Then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. Watch this church. I have heard your prayer. And I have seen your tears. And I will add 15 years to your life. And I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city. Can I just go back to verse 5 one more time? It's what the Lord God says. I have heard your prayers. And I have seen your tears. Can I read that one more time? Can I just say that to you? Can I just proclaim that to you, everyone in this room? That God has heard your prayer and he has seen your tears. My message title comes from verse 2. The Bible says when Hezekiah heard this, when he had heard that the news was coming, that he was going to be sick, the news was coming that he was going to recover, he turned to face the wall and he prayed to the Lord. My message, the second part of this, is to level up, to ask God to give you a wall. Ask God to give you a wall. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. For the people that have come, for those who are watching, for those who are listening, that you have given us this series to teach us how to pray how to pray more sincerely, 
how to pray deeply, how to ask for what we need and to ask for even more. And I pray today that someone will be convinced that you have heard our prayers and that you see our tears and that you will defend this city. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. As we've been talking about leveling up, we've made reference to the song that's probably viral. Most of you have maybe heard it, some of you haven't. But Sierra has a song about leveling up. In that song, she has a, used this metaphor to talk about what it means to advance, to go further, to go past where she, where you are. And if you know anything about Sierra's story, Sierra uh, was in a broken relationship, a dysfunctional relationship with another famous person, another rapper named Future. Not another rapper, but a rapper named Future. And that uh, they were engaged to be married. It didn't work out. It was a painful relationship, <coughs> according to the way she tells the story. But at times, she moved on to another person, a person who loves God, a person who, who also was in a broken relationship, and they did things the right way. Uh, they, they publicly went and told how they were going to refrain from any sexual activity until they were married. People dogged them out. But they are helplessly and really in love. And you guys know that Sierra is married to Russell Wilson. And we're going to need her to pray for the Seahawks. I'm just saying. We're going to need somebody to level up uh, this year. Uh, because we're going to need some help. Uh, in, in all areas of the team. But she's talking about a lot of things because for her, she didn't just level up with a new person. She leveled up with a person that was matching the purpose that she wanted. She wanted a man of God. She wanted someone who was going to believe and have prayer for the family. And I believe that everyone in this room, God wants something greater for you, and he wants it in your primary relationship. He wants it at the core level. He doesn't just want you to look good. He doesn't just want you to stumble in the house of God and pretend that everything's okay. He wants you to be blessed, to be prosperous in every area of your life. And I just think it's time. I just think it's time for us to make a decision as we go forward with our church launch to make a decision to say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be a part of the greater. I want to be a part of the more. I want to be a part of the new movement. And I don't want just a little bit of what you have for me. I want all of what you have to me. I wonder if there's anybody in the place today that is saying, God, I don't just want a little bit. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm satisfied with you, but I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want to level up. And so... This story is a very interesting story to, to look at because it teaches us a, a very specific thing about prayer. And it is belief in the fact that God sees you and that he hears you. That God sees you and that he hears you. That's, I think that's one of the hardest things when it comes to prayer. How many of you have ever tried to pray and you start off, you don't know what to say, and you start mumbling some stuff, and then your mind starts racing, you start thinking about bills, you start thinking about this. Then you come back to your prayer, and then you ask God for this. And it almost seems like when other people pray that there was light that was shining down, or there was something that just illuminated the room, and they were just wondering uh, what, should, what, what happened. But your experience uh, wasn't the same. Your experience was not 
that God just opened the door and light just busted in the room, but that you just didn't really, weren't really sure if God heard your prayer. You weren't really sure if God heard you. But I want to assure you today that he does. I want to assure that he hears you and that he sees you in the darkest moments. And you've got to learn how to trust him because when you're asking God for more, you've got to make sure that you can hear and understand his voice. Hezekiah was a king in the Old Testament, a king in Israel. And out of all the kings that served, Hezekiah was rare in that the Bible says that he actually did what the Lord asked him to do. He was rare. Most kings weren't keeping up with what God wanted. Most kings did whatever they wanted, and they actually came to the pressure of the nations around them. And consequently, often, God's people would be in trouble because they'd be disobedient, and God told them, made a covenant with them, hey, if you're going to come into the land that I show you, if you're going to come into this place, if you choose not to respect me and choose to do things your way, guess what? I'll leave you and I will pull back my hand and I will send other armies to take you out of the land and out of exile. And many times this happened. And unfortunately, Hezekiah was living in this dangerous zone where he was experiencing a lot of things that we are experiencing something that a lot of us experience. On one hand, he had his humanity, but on the other hand, he had his responsibility. On one hand, he was human, but he had this divine call that was he was serving as king. And he walked into his kingship feeling a sense of abandonment. Can I just talk about that for a second? He was feeling abandoned, left by himself. On one hand, he was human, he was young, he was trying to figure it out. On the other side, he was king, and he was the authority, and he was a decision maker. On one side, he went, he ate, he got up, he put his clothes on, he had feelings. On the other side, he had to be a leader. He had to make decisions. He had to do the things that the nation needed him to do. On one side, he had to take care of himself. He had to make sure he wasn't falling apart. He had to make sure he was making the right decisions. On the other side, people were looking to him. People were expecting him to perform and to do what they needed him to do. Have you ever been kind of caught in the middle of what people are expecting of you and kind of what you are seeing yourself? And so he felt abandoned. He felt lost. Let me tell you why he felt lost. He felt lost really in three areas. I want to show you the three areas. First of all, he felt abandoned by his father. He felt abandoned by his father. He actually, he didn't just feel abandoned. He was abandoned by his father. He was the people had abandoned God, had really abandoned him, and God, he felt, had abandoned him. Let me talk about those three for a second. See, his father was a wicked king. His father had completely destroyed and torn apart the systems that God had set up. His father was doing crazy stuff. He had slot machines in the church. He had stripper poles in the church. He had black, black jack and all kind of stuff. He had 
marijuana dispensaries in the back. Like his father had set up all these different idols all over the place. It got so bad that his dad actually shut the church down. He sent the priest home. He said, we don't need any of this stuff. He had completely abandoned what God had set up for him to be king. He was ruler of God's people. And he had lost his way, just like many other kings before him. And just thinking about it being a nation. See, for them, their religious, their religion, their religious identity and their political identity and national identity was fused all together. It was one thing for them. And so it wasn't like religion was something they just practiced on the side. It was a part of who they were. And as they were abandoning God, they were really abandoning God as a nation. And so as Hezekiah walked into his office as king at 25 years old, he was walking into a system that had no longer respect for God, no longer the ways of God or the things of God. And so he was abandoned. Because everything that he wanted to do that was right had not been done. Can you imagine what that would be like to want to do the right thing and everybody else has done the right thing, wrong thing before you? Maybe you do know what that's like. Maybe when you go into your new job and they're like, oh, you ain't really got to clock out right now. Oh, you ain't really got to do this. Just fine. The boss doesn't care. He's not tripping. I give everybody discounts. But there's something about when you know that God is bringing you to another level and you know that you want to do things right. There are just certain things that you don't want to compromise. And his father had not left anything for him to be successful. He was fatherless. I look around the room and I look around our city and our nation and I know what a fatherless generation looks like. I know what it's like to feel and be fatherless. I know what it's like to not have another man show you the right thing to do. I know what it's like to want your father to be there, but he's not there. Or for your father to teach things to you that you have to unlearn. Or for the men in your life to teach you something that they shouldn't have taught you. And you, by the time you get to the place where you want to inherit, go from your human self to the place of responsibility, and you want to do that with honor and integrity and not know how to do it because no standard was set before you. And that's how we, why we work so hard as a church for our community. That's why we talk about these things, because we don't want people to, to suffer from a fatherless experience. And so he was abandoned by that. And consequently... He was abandoned because the people had abandoned God. The people didn't want anything to do with God. They were like, no, we'll serve somebody else. No, we'll just do what we're doing. We like it this way. In fact, we resist the God that you're trying to introduce to us. And so if he did need to seek God, who was he going to seek? There were no priests, there were no people, there was nobody who believed what he believed, there were a few prophets, but over and over again, if he would have brought something to the table, there would be no spiritual answer. There would be no spiritual solution or suggestion. This is why, as we pray about God leveling us up, we gotta think about who's around us. We gotta seriously think about the company that we keep. When we ask questions, and we ask for advice, are they giving us godly advice or are they just giving us human advice? 
Are they suggesting something that's going to push us closer to God or pull us from God? Are they going to give us a solution or an answer that's going to make sense to what God wants or is it going to go against us? And consequently, he felt abandonment by God because God had already said, in fact, back, I'll, I'll come to that text in a second, but God had already said in Deuteronomy uh, verse 7, uh, that he promised to bless them when they, this was before they ever inherited the land, that when they came into the land, he was going to bless them. Nobody was going to be able to touch them. They were going to win back-to-back -back Super Bowls, and everything was going to be good. But then later in verse 15, he says, if, if you turn from me, if you choose to serve other gods, I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to send other nations into your land and I'm going to take you out of that land and you are going to be in exile. God said from the beginning, I want to bless you. I want you to succeed. I want you to be prosperous. But I'm just telling you, this is an agreement that I'm making with you. And if you choose to change your mind, you have the freedom to do so. But just know that I am not obligated to keep you where you are. I could just testify. There's been some times in my life that I was not where God wanted me to be and it had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with me. It had everything to do with my choices. It had everything to do with what I wanted. And the bottom line really was I didn't want God. I wanted the promise. I wanted the things. I wanted the benefits. Like, I wanted every Sabbath off, but I didn't want to go to church. I, I wanted the pastor to write me a letter, and I wanted to be a Seventh-day Adventist when it was convenient, but I didn't want to live what I believed. I didn't want to actually do what God told me to do, or should I say, what I was convicted of doing. I just wanted to show up, show up, show up, and leave. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to serve. I didn't want to give. I didn't want to do anything. And that's because I was running from God. I was running from the sacrifice. And I was really living in the abandonment because I didn't know how to deal with being human and walking in the purpose that God wanted me to walk in. And so I felt alone. And here he was feeling abandoned, but he had a different perspective. And so verse uh, chapter 38 is actually positioned in Isaiah, not in chronological order, because in chapter 36 and 37, it tells us that it had come to the point where the Assyrian army was getting ready to collect. They were coming for the people. And there was this big exchange between him and the king. And the king of the Assyrian army knew that God had sent him to punish Jerusalem. He was, he was clear about that, and which was actually true. And he sends a message. He's like, hey, I'm just sending a message to you to let you know I'm coming to take over the city. So you guys get ready. Hey, look, if you want to peacefully surrender, I think that's a great idea. I'll take you somewhere else, you know, where you can kind of chill and restart. But if you resist me, I'm just telling you, check our fact record. Check our stats. We will destroy you. We will wipe you clean. I mean, it's what he really said. Then he starts talking trash. He's like, and no God is going to save you. That's what he started saying. Now he just went big-headed a little bit. When Hezekiah hears about this, he responds. Now, this story that we read today is before 
that crisis. Can I say it this way? He had a personal crisis in the midst of a national crisis. He had a national crisis where his nation, the people that he were leading, were going to perish because they didn't want to obey God. And he's getting word of a personal crisis here in verse 38. What does the Bible say? The prophet comes to him in verse 31 and says, Hezekiah, you are going to be deathly ill. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order and you are going to die and you will not recover from this illness. So when Hezekiah became king, he was 25 years old. So this news came to him when he was probably about 40 years old. He had been doing his best, the Bible says, to tear down all the poles that his dad set up. He rehired the priests. He fixed the church. He remodeled the church. He hired people. He hired the musicians. He started the Passover. People started to come back to God. People started to remember what they had been taught. And he was setting this up 15 years. He was strategically, carefully bringing people back to God. At the same time, the pending threat of those nations were advancing. He's working on the inside, building up God's kingdom, trying to tell him, hey, we got to serve God, and he's doing successfully. But in the middle of this, the Assyrian army is approaching and closely coming to actually pay up for what God had sent them to do. But right in the middle of this, he has a personal crisis. And God tells him, Hezekiah, I'm coming to announce to you that you're not going to survive this illness. You're not going to recover from this. What happens when we hear bad news? What's your first response? See, that, that's the key right there, is where do you go when you're in trouble? A lot of people, they like to go to God last. God's a last resort. You can see it all the time. You know, God's kind of the last resort. I'll try this, I'll try that, and I'll try this, and then hopefully, maybe, God will respond. And I think God is good. Matter of fact, I know he's good, and he often does help us when we're in need. But what's the first response? What's your first go-to when you hear something like this? And I love what he teaches us about prayer. I love the faith that Hezekiah has in this moment. The Bible says when he hears about this, he hears it's not going to recover. God says, put your affairs in order. I wonder what he was thinking about. I wonder if he was just thinking about his household on the human side, his son, his wife, his family. Was he thinking about how am I going to prepare them for me to leave? Or was he also thinking about What's going to happen to the nation that I'm leading? Here I am establishing all of these systems and establishing all of this. And if I leave right now, if I transition out right now, it's very possible that not only will I not recover, 
but that the people of God would not recover. And so I love what he does. The Bible says he turned his face to the wall and he prayed. Middle of the bad news. He turns his face to the wall and he prayed. I want you to imagine this. A room like this, surrounded with his administration, surrounded with soldiers. He's sitting there probably on his throne. He's probably contemplating what's happening, messages he's hearing of the Assyrian army approaching. The prophet comes in. He's sitting on the couch in his room. And the prophet tells him, Hezekiah, I've got news for you. The Lord says you're going to be sick, and this is you're not going to recover, and you're going to die. It's a room like this. Everybody's in the room, and the prophet gets up off his, excuse me, the king gets up off of his couch, and he walks over to the wall. The Bible says he finds a wall. And he begins to pray. Some scholars would say that maybe he didn't want anybody to see him, see his tears, see his emotion. But he comes to the wall. And he prays. I love this image of the wall. And this is what I want to leave you with today. That in order to level up, part two is, you got to ask God to give you a wall. There's got to be a place in your life where you are just face to face with God. There's nothing but a wall. And I'm trying to persuade you today that as you are face to the wall, that our God has the ability to come between the wall and to you. And not only does he hear your prayers, but he sees your tears. Yeah, Hezekiah was standing against the wall and he prayed this prayer to God. What I love about the wall is nobody has to be with me when I'm praying. I don't need anybody's help. I can just reach out to God where I'm at. I can cry. I can weep. I can be myself. I can express myself to God. And that's who God wants to hear. Can I just tell you that God wants to hear your real self? He doesn't want to hear from the person that you want everybody to think you are. He wants to hear from the person that's in the wall. i never forget when I was early in ministry. Actually, I say that, but I wasn't pastoring yet. But I was early in ministry. I used to sing and do different stuff. And I remember, like, before I would sing or before I would speak, I'd have this moment of silence. I don't know what it was about me. For me, I just wanted to ask God. I just need to feel that you're here. And I remember... Many times when I sang or when I preached that I would feel tears come down my face. And I never understood why. I'm like, Lord, I'm like, Mom, why do I cry so much? I don't feel like I'm an emotional person, but it's just in those moments that I would cry. And I forget what she told me. She said, son, when you cry, that's the Holy Spirit in you. What do you mean by that? Is it just that I'm emotional? I just lose myself. You know, you see the people on TV, you know, they cry and fall out. It's not that. She said, you can't be any humbler than when you're crying. You can't be proud and cry at the same time. 
You can't be arrogant and cry at the same time. There comes a point where you got to let it break you. There comes a point where you got to feel it. You got to absorb the reality of the news. But what I love what Hezekiah does in his wall is he doesn't just soak in his, in his news. He doesn't just weep because he's got no options. He begins to pray a very specific prayer. Look what he prays. He says, remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and served you single-mindedly. Now, I'm just going to say, that seems a little proud. <laughs> like, I, that's a pretty bold statement. I don't know if anybody in this room can say that. Maybe you can. God, I have always, this way he said, served you faithfully. But here's what stuck out to me about that. Here's what he said. He says, remember. In his mind, he's got some situations that he and God knows about that he does, did it right. In his mind, he's praying in reference to some evidence, some situations. He may be forgetting about some things, right? But he's praying about the big stuff. He's saying, I know that I did this. And I know that I did that for you. Here was my question. If we ask God to remember, what would he remember? What would he remember? And so Isaiah, excuse me, um, uh, Hezekiah, he prays this prayer. And this is what I thought it would help me. There's three things I want you to see about praying. Because what I love about what God says in his, in his answer to, to Isaiah is that he says, I've heard your prayers. I've heard the words that you have said when you were on the wall. And I've seen your tears. I've seen the tears that nobody else saw. I heard the prayer that nobody else heard you pray. It's me and you. When you cry out to me with your real and authentic self, and your honest self, I will hear you. I don't want to hear the fake self. I don't want to hear the proud self. I don't want to hear the self that you think you need to present to me. If you're in trouble, all I need is you to get find the wall and cry out to me, and I will hear you. Here's what I think we should pay attention to. The first thing is when he prayed. These are three reasons when you should pray. Here, when he prayed. He prayed when he heard the news. Uh-huh. In other words, God was his first option. Can I just encourage you with that this week? If you're facing something difficult, if you're facing a hard decision, if you're facing a difficult moment, to remember this week that a part of leveling up means I'm going to ask God first. And I'm going to ask God now. I'm going to ask him first, and I'm going to ask him now, he didn't wait. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't ask for a second opinion. He just heard what he said. He let it soak in and he found his wall. He didn't put up a front. He didn't fake it. He got up off of his couch and he turned. I'm not saying you don't need privacy. I'm not saying you don't need time just with you and God. But he did it right away. He responded right away. It was his first impulse. And can I just tell you, that's a muscle that needs to be built up. Amen. 
That's something you just got to practice. I mean, I know that it's kind of silly to sit there and just pray for your food every day. But you know what it does? It teaches you to thank God first. It teaches you to tell God thank you first. Can I just encourage you to ask God first and to ask God now? Here's what I loved about it. Here's the second thing. He prayed, and he, and he prayed for a specific reason. There was a reason why he prayed. He said, remember, I've been faithful to you, and I've served you single-mindedly. I've always done what has pleased you. See, he's not simply praying because he's concerned about himself. He is concerned about his nation. He understands that these people need my leadership. And this is what he also understands. As the prophet says to him in verse uh, 2, you will not recover from this illness. Now, some people would hear that and be like, oh, man. Right? I guess, I guess I'm going out. I guess I'm going out. I guess, I guess it's over with. I guess, I guess that's it. You know, we go just tell everybody bye. I'm not going to recover. I'm done. It's, it's over. Hezekiah had enough sense to hear something else. See, when you know God, even bad news is good news. Because yeah. <laughs> here's what he knows. The prophet said, I won't recover. But in reality, I'm not dead yet. The prophet says, this is a death sentence. But he didn't tell me how long. So he sees there's a window of time and he's grateful to God that God even gave him a warning in the first place. Yeah, God even told him, you got to get yourself together. I just love that about God because God does not do anything without warning. He's not sneaking up on us. He's not trying to catch us off guard. He is actively pursuing us for a reason. And if calamity and pain come in your life, I'm just simple enough to believe that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So even if it looks bad, there's still time. As long as you've got breath, you still got another chance. And he understood that even though he says, I'm not going to recover, I still got a window of opportunity. He understands that even though this is what he said, this is what God's going to do. Let me show you a prayer in 1 Kings verse 8, uh, verses uh, 33 and 34. This is what he's living in. I love this. See, the king, the kings before him that preceded him, King Solomon, who was the one, David's son, who really set up this kingship and set up the temple. Here's what King Solomon prayed when he anointed and set up the, king, the temple in the first place. This is what he said. This is what he said in kingly order in 1 Kings 8, 33 and 34. If the, your people, this is, this is King Solomon praying to God. If your people, Israel, are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you, and if they turn to you and acknowledge your name and pray to you here in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and return them to this land you gave their ancestors. So, so Solomon prayed this prayer. This is way before Hezekiah. He prayed to God, and God heard and answered his prayer. He says, God, let me put a contingency plan in in the future, just in case we lose our way. If we lose our way, 
and we come to you and we repent, are you willing to hear from heaven and forgive our sins and bring us back to the land? God answered that prayer that day with a resounding yes. So Hezekiah, understanding this context and understanding the prayer that was already prayed, he's praying and believing in faith and stepping into a prayer that had already been answered. Okay, I'm just telling you that I'm an answer to somebody's prayer. I'm just telling you, I'm walking into the prayers of my mom who would put her hands on me, my grandmother, my uncles, my church leaders, my pastors, everybody in my life that cared about me. There have been people who have been praying and proclaiming and saying, God, do this for him. And I'm foolish enough to believe that he has answered their prayers. And so every once and again, I need to jump in the prayers of somebody else who asked for God to do something, and he answered. Can I give you a practical example? You'll probably get tired of hearing it. There was a group of people that used to meet in this room, less than the people in this room, and God told them to build and expand this church. He told them to finish the job that they had already been given because somebody named Pastor Alfonso McCarthy came to this neighborhood when there was nothing here and through prayer and through sacrifice, this was the, you're sitting in the first building from Lewis to Oregon on the east side back in the 70s and he prayed that God's spirit and his word would go out to this community. And so all we're doing is stepping into the prayer that has already been answered because we're in a building and we're in an expansion and we're in an area and we own a block of land. Can I just tell you that I'm foolish enough to step into the prayer of somebody else and say, God, you said you do it, so I need you to do it now. That's why he's praying. Because he knows this prayer. He knows what God will do. And he heard, so I'm not dying right now. I got a chance to pray about this. Here's my last thing here. He said, back in Isaiah 36, says, we already said it, but when he heard the news, he got up and he found the wall in his room. Nothing special about a wall. Nothing holy about a wall. It's just a wall. But it's the place that he said, I want to talk to God. I'm going to pour out my heart to God. And so he found a place where he could pour his heart out to God. Sometimes you have to leave the noise and the distraction of everything else. You got to find a wall. You got to be willing to be vulnerable and talk to God out of your heart. When you heard the news, he responded. He knew I can pray about this. And as he prayed, as he was praying, I want you to see this. Look at verse 4. If I can go back to verse 4. The Bible says he wept. He broke down bitterly and he wept. The Bible says that then, okay, while he's in the wall, 
While he's in the wall, the Bible says, the message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Amen. Go back to Hezekiah. Yeah. Okay. Right. You got to find a wall. You got to find a place where God's going to hear you. And you got to pray with a sense of faith and purpose to know that God is going to hear you and know that he's going to respond. The Bible says he's at the wall. He's crying. He's weeping bitterly. And I can imagine that his administrators and his army and those around him had respect for Hezekiah. They understood what he was doing. And the Bible says, as, do you know how hard it probably was for the prophet to tell the king, this is the guy who was trying to get it right. To come in and say, hey, king, because there's always another side to the story. The prophet had to go in and he had to say, man, I got to tell you something that you don't want to hear. And then he has to be connected with God enough to hear that God tells him, go back. Yeah. Here's the message. He said, go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord your God of, the of your ancestors, David, says. I have heard your prayer. And I've seen your tears, two different things. He says, I've heard your request. When we read this, we don't see a request. When we read this, we don't see details. All we hear is Hezekiah saying, remember. All we hear is God, him pointing out his heart. And the Bible says he heard his request. What was his request? We don't know what his request was. All his request was, was for God to remember. Can I just tell you that sometimes God just needs to remember what he promised you. That you just need to ask God for him to remember, but for you to remember the promises that he made. Maybe the promises that you made when you were at the altar. Maybe the promise that you made when you were in the baptismal pool. Maybe the promise that you made when you signed up to be on the launch team. Remember the promise that I made with you. Remember the covenant that I made with you. I'm weak on the weekend, God, but you're on the strong end. And God heard his request. That's one thing. But then he says, I saw your tears. Nobody else saw your tears. But my spirit and my power and my glory was able to fit in between the wall and your tears. And God can find you in every little place that you want to be. Every place that you set aside for him. God's spirit is not weak enough or is not strong enough to find you in the place that you are seeking him. And he says, I heard your request, but I also saw your tears. Can I just tell you that God sees your tears? Can I just tell you that God responds to your tears? He knows when you suffer. He knows when you cry. And he says, I respond. And he says, I will add 15 years to your life. Amen. I'll take 15. Yeah. Why not? He had a time. He said, look, Hezekiah knows I got 15 years. I got 15 years to handle this. And look what he says. I will rescue you. And this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend the city. Now you can understand what Hezekiah is weeping about. Now you can understand what's on the heart of Hezekiah. God says, I've heard your request 
and I saw your tears, and now I'm making a promise to you that I will defend the city. How many of you want God to defend your city? How many of you want God to step by your checkbook and say, no, ain't no broke stuff going on here? How many of you would want God to defend for you? And that's the prayer, and that's the cry of our heart here as a church, that we are asking God, based on our prayers, based on our sacrifice, based on our wall, that we are saying, God, intervene. Give us more time. Give us more purpose. Give us more uh, resources. Let us expand so that this community will have a defense. Amen. And I got to close with what he says. Hezekiah hears this promise and he begins this beautiful prayer. And down in verse 17, this is what he says. Hezekiah, on perspective, says, yes. This anguish was good for me. He said, yeah, this pain that I went through, that I heard, because here's the thing, you got to understand this. It wasn't just that Hezekiah heard he was going to get sick. Hezekiah was already sick. Okay, y'all not hear what I'm saying. See, in Kings, it tells you that Isaiah had a remedy and he had to rub up a, a, a really kind of a natural remedy to put this fake thing that he had to put together and put it on, the Bible says, the boil that Hezekiah had. See, Hezekiah had discovered a cancer on his body. He had seen the boil on his body. He had already known it was there. When the prophet came and told him, he said, look, this boil, this cancer that you have is not going away. He already knew he had the boil. He already knew he had the issue. He, he just didn't know it was going to kill him. So he had the boil. He had evidence of the pain. He had evidence of the issue. And so Hezekiah is reflecting. He's saying, yeah, this anguish, this fear of not knowing that this was going to kill me or not, but me leading faithfully and me staying faithful to God's call, it was good for me. Getting fired was good for me. The divorce was good for me. The people that cut me off because I joined the church, that was good for me. Why? For you have rescued me from death and forgiven all of my sins. Hezekiah is concerned about his salvation. And can I just tell you, as I close this message, that you ought to be concerned about your salvation. You ought to know that you know, as the old folks used to say, and that you know that when Jesus comes, you are going to see him. But not just about that salvation, but that your salvation is for the salvation of others. That in your humanity, in your stuff, in your pain, in your issue, that you understand that I'm not just living for myself, but I'm living for the people that I'm leading. And I, I need more time, God.